0: We are in the Gospel of Genesis. By the way, we are going to, it's our every intent to place the order this week for <clears throat> those um, witness t-shirts. So if you want to get one, at least on this order, let us know right away. Also, look at that. Annie's just worked her way out and grabbed some Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Annie wants to bring one to you. Watch her. Here she goes. Anyone? See, thanks, Annie. You're awesome. Awesome. <laughs> See, look at that. You know? You thought you were only going to be an inch of blessing, but God turned you into a mile. I think uh, um, think Amina needs one too. Or does she not? No? She was just waving. Oh. I I would just take one just because of the dance. But, you know, then I wouldn't know what to do with it. All right, so... Ooh, this is what happens when you have a relatively blind pastor, is we need all kinds of light. We are in the Gospel of Genesis, as most of you are aware of. We left off, by the way, if you remember, with Jacob becoming much more Israel in the situation. The... um, The Jacob was one who would say, no way am I letting go of Benjamin. Fat chance on that one, pal. But the Israel is one that says, well, if this is what it takes to feed my family, I'm going to trust. And there is something about a father letting go of a son that, of course, resonates in our hearts. We're in chapter 43, by the way. And we pick it up in verse 15. But go to the Lord with me in prayer. And I don't even have to do a lot of backstory because it's going to be in here as well. So, Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to turn to your scripture that you promise is active and alive, sharper than a double edged sword, able to divide joints and marrow, soul and spirit, discern the intense thoughts of our heart. Lord, you also promise as the snow falls down to the ground, it does not rise up again without watering the ground it lands on, causing it to bud and flourish, bringing seed to the sower and bread to the one who eats, so is your word. It never returns empty, but accomplishes everything you desire. So here is your active and living word, the sword of your spirit that does not return empty, about to be set forth before us. But you've also told us in your word that there are those who heard your word but it profited them none because they did not mix it with faith. And so, Lord, I recognize that even to add to that where you say that faith comes by hearing and that your word, that seems strange to me. That as we hear your word, you'll be adding faith, and we have an opportunity to either place that faith in the word it came from or to put it in something else. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would take all of the faith, Lord, that trust that you've placed within our hearts, And may it be properly spent, Lord, upon you as we see you work this time. And and Lord, please, in that save, challenge, encourage, support, bring great encouragement into this room, Lord, I pray. And may we find ourselves in that place today of just sheer delight in you. So have your way, Lord, and just bless, 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 Lord, this day. And redeem every second. Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. And then give us all, Lord, ears to hear, hearts to receive, and Lord, lives willing to inculcate your word, even as you teach us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say this afternoon, like I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true, because I say so. Let the scripture always be that for which you test all things. But listen, if you're going to test me, then you better test scripture, anything that not only pertains to scripture, but also the news you read and the, the stories people tell you and people with big and deep accents, with long glasses that talk with that like they're smart or something. And, and it, just test everything, everything by the word of God. Now... It's been a rough ride for Joseph to the place that God has called him to, which, in essence, if you'll pardon me for saying, is in a very practical way, Savior of the world. And and in that, he is, um, and the focus has been on Joseph, his strugglings, his sufferings through all of this. But actually, the focus is really going to sort of sway a bit now to the person of Judah as we see God do a radical thing through Judah's life. Now, please understand. Judah was, is the fourth of 12 sons. He is the fourth oldest, but also the fourth of the wife Leah. This man, Jacob, now Israel, has in essence, for all practical purposes, four wives. Um, and one of them is not living anymore, the one that actually he loves. So go for that. Uh, the one that he did, he did favor was the younger sister of a girl named Leah, and dad of the two daughters, has Jacob um, sort of in a bait and switch and has him marry the older sister first. That All we read about her is that she has weak eyes. Not even sure what that means, but apparently it's less cute than her sister that we read is beautiful in face and form. So her silhouette is cute, her Facebook picture is cute. That's the idea. And... Uh, Jacob, in the end of it all winds up working six, I'm sorry, 14 years um, for these two girls and their maidservants, and then the battle is on of who can give them the most babies. Uh, and so with that, you have the older sister, the one that is less cute, who by the way, puts out six of the, of the 12 boys. Uh, and uh, you would think that would be enough, but the husband still has not found a place to love her just because she's giving him sons. Uh, The younger sister is the one, by the way, that Jacob is really drawn to. He really seems to, as the Bible says, he really just seems to love her, whatever that means in Jacob's mind at the time. Uh, And she uh, puts out, to be honest, the children's uh, sons number 11 and 12. Now, God has not forsaken Leah. As a matter of fact, interesting, Leah will be the one from whom the Messiah comes. She's the older sister. But she's also, of the two of them, the one that will actually be buried with Jacob in the end. Lay will be buried in the household of, or in the tomb of the fathers, is where Rachel will actually be buried near Bethlehem. And so uh, by this point, this girl, this, um, the one that he does love, has two sons. Again, sons number 11 and 12 of the 12 sons. And the, this oldest of the two of them, Joseph, is treated like the firstborn. He is given all the favoritism as if dad didn't see the first 10 boys. You can imagine how rough that is. And it's been a rough road to the point where... These guys are just, they cannot speak a peaceable word to them. In other words, you've got 10 older brothers that just want to beat you up, rub their knuckles on your head, flush your face in the toilet and say nasty things all the time. That means you get up in the morning. Good morning, guys. Shut up, you jerk. I mean, that's just from from that to good night, guys. Yeah, I wish you had died. I mean, that's just your whole day is with that with your 10 brothers that are bad shepherds from what we read in text. And Joseph gives a bad report. Now, in all of that, Joseph will go to check up on some of his brothers. And as he does, Leah's, by the way, Leah's boys, um, this, the, the oldest. And, and with that, they're going to um, want to kill him. And ultimately, it's one person that steps up and says, let's sell our brother. We can make a, a profit from it. And the one that does say that is Judah. So that's what we kind of get from <laughs> Judah before this point. And that was over 20 years ago. Where Judah, brother number four, says, Let's just get rid of this boy. And what we'll read is that even with great pleading, Joseph was still sold off. Which means, I mean, he's looking at his brothers and saying, Please, please, please don't do this to me as he's sold off to um, Midianite traders that will ultimately sell him as a slave in Egypt. And they just harden their heart. No one bends to it. The only one that seems to not be there of those boys is Reuben, the oldest. Um, and because he'll come back later and then say, where's my brother? So with all of that in mind, now that boy that was sold into slavery is the second in command in Egypt and he is the only person you can go to for food in the midst of a seven year famine and it's two years into the famine and already everybody seems to be coming for food so it has just wiped out everything. Now, up to this point, we see, and the focus has been on Joseph, on him not retaliating, being the opposite of every man movie that we've watched, most of us, for the last 15 years, where somebody does a man wrong, and then for the next hour and a half, he chases him down and kills him. You know, and we walk out there going, yeah, God is dead, yeah, it's it, all right? And and we and then we read the story of Joseph, and you go, well, this is weird, because he's not that. But in all of that, he's a very much a human being. But the focus now is going to be on this relationship between Joseph, really, to be honest, and Judah, the one who wanted to sell him off, the one who didn't sell him off, in essence. And and what we're going to see, to be honest, is we're going to see a radical change in Judah's life. Now, Judah was the one who, when the ten boys show up, when the ten come for food, the one that's missing is the other son of Rachel, the cute girl, who, again, has since passed away. Joseph, at this point, is assumed dead by his dad. It's been 20 years that he's assumed that. The only boy left of the woman he loves is this little, the youngest of them all, jo- is Benjamin. And, and with that now, when they go to get food and he treats them roughly and t- tells them they're spies and they go back, he says, you're not going to come back here. You won't see my face again unless you bring that boy with him." And understand, you know how they treated you. You knew how they threw you in a pit. You know how they sold you off. You were dad's favorite. You were treated like the oldest, with all of the rights and privileges and authority of the firstborn. And now you know that your little brother's in there, and you wonder, where is he? And when 10 of these guys show up, and the only one missing is the only full brother you have, I, I, if I were Joseph, I would think, oh man, they killed him, they've wasted him, this is over. And, and so I could see him saying, like, you're not going to come back here and get any food unless you bring that boy back here. And the reason they say that is there's a lot of places people take this, but I, and I think the way you interpret Joseph's actions to these boys, I think will tell you a lot about how you deal with how people have wronged you. I mean, where your universe is and all of that. But, but in all of this, I, I, I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, I mean, there's things that I can say, this is doctrinal truth, and here's scriptural this, and there are times I just want to be confident enough to tell you this is my opinion so that you could at least you know, take it with a little less of it. But I, I'm going to tell you my opinion in this, for what it's worth, is that as we go through this text, I really just think that what Joseph wants is to get his brother. I really just think that's where it motivates him more than anything, as he just wants to get his brother. And I'm sure he's convinced, in my mind, he's convinced, that if he were to stay with Joseph, he would be in a lot better situation than staying with ten brothers that picked on Joseph all the years before he was sold off. And you could just see him. And, and if you look at that motivation, because some will say, well, he's testing him in this, and he's testing him. And, and certainly there are some things that appears as he's testing. But I really think his primary motivation is is that if I could just make, work out this situation in a way so that I have to keep benjamin all the other brothers could go back and then i can say to benjamin hey benny i'm your big brother man things are going to be good and it's like their own little secret while the other guys are still fending for themselves but it isn't going to work out that way because god's going to not allow that and i'll tell you why because he's not going to allow these guys to live in their guilt forever and he's not going to allow you to live in your guilt forever And that's one of the beautiful things is God will actually put you in a crash course with things that you would naturally avoid to heal you. And there are times where God will really put you in a very unpleasant circumstance. Sometimes you'll go to it and you'll go to it and you go to it because you keep failing the class. If you're anything like me. But in all of that. God, God is this way of sending us on a crash course, sometimes with things on our past, sometimes things that, that we thought we'd left behind, but we just sort of kind of covered up with the carpet. And, and God's like, look it, I am not about temporarily moving something out of the way or just sort of displacing it. I'm about total, you know, removing this completely as far as east is from west. I want this thing resolved. And the praise God, understand that puts Jesus beside, beside no one else. Because that's the difference between the cross and everything else is everyone else in whatever mercy however it's identified and however their book is or their idealism or religion or mindset or whatever no matter how that plays out in the end of it all it's still about you kind of set it aside the mercy is well your guilt doesn't really get dealt with I'm just going to kind of overlook it a little bit and maybe let you into paradise or nirvana or reincarnate you into something nicer than a cockroach or whatever versus actually really resolving your sin at the cross and that really makes Jesus very 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 different now let's get into our text because we have a lot to cover but now here they are they're on their they've they've now come back and as they've come back they've brought little benny with them that's the youngest of the 12 benjamin and we read this now in verse 15 so the men took that present and benjamin which by the way in all honesty the, the the real present is benjamin dad before they left Now more Israel than Jacob will say, look, you need to take the money that was left in your sacks from the last one. You need to take more money to buy it this time and bring a little gift with you. And, you know, an idea of it's a little balm, some honey, some spices, some myrrh, pistachio, nuts and almonds, which, by the way, is a little strange. I want you to think about how a little odd that is, is you're bringing, in essence, a fruit and nut basket to a guy because you're starving to death. Is that a little strange to you. I mean, you really, you know, like, look at it. And, and I understand Middle Eastern culture to this day. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of European culture as well. You don't go to someone's house without bringing something. And that's why we invite you over to our house so much. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it, it, that's, cat's out of the bag. Sorry, honey. Um, but there's something about trying to, th- trying to think. If you're going to approach a dignitary, you have to bring someone something when you're in such desperate need. Because the reason I say that is, whether you know it or not, most of us do that with the Lord anyways. We try to feel like we have to bring something to the table. Now, when we do that, I understand that's natural, but the problem is we're not approaching a natural person. We are approaching someone who is holy, holy, holy. And if you will, holy in its simplest sense means weird, unique, different. And because he is so different, he is not to be approached like anyone else, like anyone else. I mean, the, the thing that makes God so amazing, to be honest, is that he's, it's irreconcilable how opposite the things are that, that make him such a paradox. For instance, he's totally holy. He dwells in absolute inapproachable light. He's all-powerful. He just clears his throat, and all of the cedars are laid bare and turned into toothpicks, and yet he can whisper to you in a way you can hear, and you can approach him. Now, how does that work? I don't know, but I don't have to. He's just bigger than that logic, and I can just trust that that's where faith comes in. The fact that he actually is someone that is is that that is everywhere at, at all times and yet can intimize with me as if we're having a one-on-one while he's still running the universe. I don't know how to explain that other than he's bigger than my math. And praise God, I'm not going to lean upon my own understanding. But when I approach him somehow as my homeboy, and I forget that he's also the same one that has the right to flash me into a, a powder if he wants to at any moment... And I approach him, I still want to do it with this. Well, God, I know I said I'd never do this again, but this time I'm going to bring a little bit more sincerity and I'm going to crawl on my knees up some steps and kneel on beans while I do it so you know how serious I am. What am I bringing to the table? I'm bringing to the table some pistachio nuts, telling him I'm starving to death, but here's some stuff, here's some balm. That'll be nice. It's a little honey, but I'm starving to death. And you can see, in in, in the end of it all, God's like, look it. Do you really think that Joseph would have, that, that that gift they brought swayed him in any way? He was the one who put their money back in their sacks the last time. And we try to come to God with these things as if somehow it'll sweeten the deal a little bit. When in the end of it all, the one thing that we really need more than anything else is the honesty to recognize that it's God's grace. It says, you know what? I'll never earn this. I'll never, and, and there's songs that are like, I just want to know what you see in me, and I, I just want to be worthy of your love. I will never be worthy of God's love. God doesn't love me because I'm so darn lovable. He loves me because he's loved. And you know the good news is? As a result of that, I can't blow it either. If God loved me because of my hair, I would be in trouble. Some of you can amen that. Um, <laughs> You know, and it's like because we know in our own lives we can perform. It's our presentation and our performance that actually get people to like us. But then the problem is if you have to fight to win someone's affection, you got to fight to keep it. And that's the difference between the Lord and anyone else. It's grace. He actually loves me, not because of my performance or my presentation, but rather because he made me. He loves me because I'm actually, because he chooses to love me, which is still something that's going to blow my mind for eternity. And he isn't going to change his mind on it. And I'm so thankful for that. And here we are now and we're going to go before the only one who can save us from our own famine. And in this, we're turning to him and we're going to bring some food to tell him, that were starving to death a little bit funny to me and so with that in mind they, they're going to bring this gift with them and benjamin the one thing they really want that he really wants and they took double money in their hand and arose and went down to egypt and they stood before joseph when joseph saw benjamin with them he said to his steward of his house now first of all i don't i don't want you to forget joseph has not spoken directly to them they have no concept he understands hebrew all they, they don't know that he's Joseph. He knows they're his brothers. They don't know he is. He's more than likely head shaved, full-on mascara. He talks like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. That's just the way he is. And then I mean, you look at him and you don't think, well, that guy's probably my brother, the second most powerful man on the planet, the one we sold as a slave 20 years ago. Yeah, it's probably Mr. Mascara guy. We don't think that. I mean, you're approaching this guy. And as you're approaching him, he's going to turn to a steward, and that steward's going to interpret all the information, which is a bit fun. And that's part of this whole thing that we as a reader, God has blessed us with, because we have inside information those boys don't. And that is that everything they have communication in between them, Joseph is privy to. Though they don't know that. Now, there are a lot of places in the world where you learn enough of the language. It's one of the things that, one of the first things I do. And then, and learning that language that I don't let any of the guides or the people that work in front of us or drivers know that I know any of the language. Cause you can learn a lot about a person when they think they're talking around you. And there are times when you're like, that bus driver will never be hired from us again. He's like, oh, what he says, you know, oh, it's really wonderful to be with you. And then he's like, he's working me too hard, you know. And I'm like, all right, well, we know. And, and, and there's that, and, and I remember those moments where you kind of have that inside where you're just kind of like, I feel like Joseph for the moment, in that sense. So get this idea. These guys come in, they're standing before him, and he turns and he goes, however you want to do it, pick your own sort of, nonsense language and then the, the the steward who i remind you was joseph's job joseph was a steward for potiphar he knows how important that role is and he seems to have a very faithful one that's going to do some stuff and i imagine if i were this steward i'd think this guy's nuts what is he making me do now but he turns and he, and he, so many and in that by the way it says when joseph saw benjamin he said to his steward of the house take these men to my home slaughter an animal, and make ready these men for dinner at noon. Now, so he turns around and he goes, you know, whatever, right? And, he's doing, and, he's doing, and then he goes, tabach. And he says that word right in the middle of it. Now, why is that important? Because that word, tabach, is one word that actually, in both the ancient Egyptian and in Hebrew, was a very similar word. It's a very similar word. And it's the only word that I can tell in the language between these statements that the Hebrew might get. Now, you ever do that, somebody's talking in another language, and you're trying to pick out a word here or there? The problem is the word tabach is the word here? Well, actually, that particular word means... Well, look at the sentence. It's the word for slaughter. Okay, so get this. The ten boys, now eleven, have come forward. That's with Benjamin and the ten other brothers. And Joseph looks at him and he goes, slay, am just slay, Right." And you can see these guys going, oh no. That's all they get. And then the steward says, come with me. And you've been pulled out of line. Everyone else is going to get food. You don't know where you're going. All you know is you heard slay or slaughter. And off you go and you think, this is not good. And it's going to get weirder. So... And no, and but the funny thing is they have no concept that what joseph says is we 're going to have lunch together today oh they 're not getting that they 're thinking i 'm going to be lunch today, and so it says uh, then the man, the man did as Joseph ordered. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid, and the word is Yerah, And the idea at this point is they're terrorized. And it says because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said it's because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we brought in, so that he made a case against us and seized us and take us as slaves with our donkeys. And it just this sounds so funny to me because these guys are like, you know what he did this? He wants to make us all slaves and kill us and take our donkey i mean he's in a place right now where i remind you there's grain enough for everyone and if there's grain enough for everyone they have enough livestock anywhere you want to go with it and he's thinking oh you know why he does this because he wants to kill me and take my iphone that's kind of the idea here and again i remind you he's they're doing this by the way sort of on their way to this with the steward so it says, when they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house. Remember, they don't think that Joseph understands what they're saying. So they have to tell him, Could you please tell him this? Please, because I don't, I don't want to be slayed or slain or whatever. And it says, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack. Excuse me. And the money was in full weight, so we've brought it back in our hand, and we've brought down our money in our hands to buy food. We brought other money, so okay. So we're bringing back the money that that was returned, and we got other money because we still want more food. So we didn't know who put it in our sacks. And then the steward turns to him and he says, "Shalom." Notice the first thing he says to him is peace. Now already I'm thinking. I'm freaking out. I think I'm about to get slayed, and they're going to take my donkey. And and, and I'm trying trying to explain the case, right? I'm going to try to explain the case to the steward. Could you please put a good word on us? We really didn't. I know what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. And the steward just goes, Chill out, guys. Peace. Shalom. The same word Jesus will say, by the way, after raising from the dead, and they're freaking out. Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And then he brings out Simeon, the brother who had been kept in prison, by the way. And nobody seemed to go get him until they were all starving death to get, starving death to get more food. Death, that's the word. So the men brought, or brought the men into Joseph's house. He gave them water. And what did they do with the water? They stuck their feet in it. says, And they washed their feet. And he gave their donkeys feed. So much for trying to steal your donkeys. I'll feed them instead. Then they made their present ready for Joseph's coming at noon. Notice it says, for they heard that they would eat bread there. Okay, so don't miss this. All of a sudden you think you're about to get slain. And all of a sudden somewhere in this, the steward's going, chill chill out, chill out. I had your money. I returned it because of your God. That's why. Which, by the way, is interesting because the steward is a very strong protagonist at this point for them to trust in the Lord. Joseph's going to play that a little bit. We'll see that here in a moment. And they, because of their guilty conscience, and we'll see this is something that plays out in a lot of us. We live in a state of a guilty conscience. We'll never expect God to bless us so much so that when he puts a blessing in front of us, we'll actually think it's a curse. And we've already seen that they open up their 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 grain sacks, and there's their money, and they're like, "Oh, God's cursed us! I found money!" And and in this, now all of a sudden, you know, the steward's like, "You guys are actually going. You're coming here for a meal," and they're like, "Coming here for a meal? I thought we were coming here to get killed." He's like, "No, no, no, no. You're just coming here for a meal. Well, then we better get our present ready because we, you know we're starving. So we better tell them that here's our food." So, and so it says, when Joseph came home, <clears throat> they brought him the present which was in their hand from the house and they bowed down. By the way, again, this is our third or fourth time. It seems like every time they see Joseph they're bowing down. Remember how they had a problem with his with his dream? You know, what's funny is is that he could have said, you know, your grains your sheaves, by the way, notice again, it was is weed, your sheaves bow down and bow down and bow down and prostrated itself and bowed down because that's really what they're going to do. So in case you never no brother could turn around and say I didn't bow which of the seven times. So They bowed down before him, and it says, And he asked them about their well-being and said, Look, this is Joseph's attitude right away. How's your dad? Is your father, the, the old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant, our father, is in good health. He's still alive. And guess what they did then? They bowed down again. And they prostrated themselves. Now you know what that means, right? That means they're laying face on the ground, face down before him. Which I wonder at that moment, which one of you, if you were in the flesh, wouldn't go, (laughs) ha, 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 ha. Tell me you're not going to bow down. You're all eating dust, man. You know, you got 11 boys face down on the ground. Would you want to walk on them? Would you want to kick up some dust? Joseph does none of that. But he lifted up his eyes. And he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. Remember, this is his only full brother. He says, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? Now remember, he goes, (laughs) And then the guy's like, the steward says, "Um, He wants to know, is this your brother, the one you spoke of? And then it says, And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. And his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And the word weep, by the way, is the idea of literally openly bawling. This isn't that sort of, you know, one tear streaming down your face. This is like crying loudly. And it says, and he went into his chamber and wept there. Now, most of the time, you know, your chamber is your toilet. Now, Put this before you. Here you are. First of all, you come before him, and think about how weird this day is already. You come before him, and he goes, slaughter, and the servant goes, come with me. And you're going to his house. And you're like, oh, he's going to kill us. And they are like, He's dude, really, man. Really, chill out, man. Because we're like, we really did. We, we don't know how the money got there. We brought extra money, too. Okay, we really didn't steal anything. And he's like, hey, 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 chill out. You guys are going to go have lunch with him. Have lunch with him. That's really strange. Go ahead. And all of a sudden, he comes in. And he goes, aha, aha. and he looks at him. And looks at him. And he goes, he wants to know, is that your little brother? The one that you spoke of? And they said, yes. And he goes, and he goes he runs off starting to cry and you're like whoa what did he just say i mean which one of you you know that's a weird moment right well i mean can we all agree on that and and we we don't know what he said and then a steward has to look and they say so what what did he say and he said well he said well he said this god be gracious to you my son now you'd think well that's the last thing i would have expected him to say at this moment but wait a minute how does that look well listen three basic words and you can miss it if you, if, if you don't slow down a little bit. The word for God, Elohim, right? Okay, we kind of get that. Okay, well, after Elohim, then the word for grace, and that's the word here, and the word is chen, so it's in the in the conjugation. But the third word is my son. How do you say my son? Benny. That's how you say it. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Benjamin. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be a little weird for me. He says, well, what he said to you, remember, he's speaking, you know, and, and he's like, what he said was, well, God have grace on you, Benjamin, Benny. That's what he just said. Now, remember, this is the young boy. They, we don't read that they said what his name was. And, and I go, well, he probably means my son because after all, right? And that's the way we translate it. But the word is Beni in the Hebrew, and that's a really strange thing to me. And you think, this is just getting weirder. So I thought I was going to get slaughtered. Now I'm going to have lunch with the guy. He runs off crying. And the last thing he says is, God, have grace on you, Benny. And then it says, he washed his face and he came out and restrained himself. So he comes back out. His mascara is a little smeared, right? He doesn't have that, like, long thing anymore. Now it's kind of, looks a little bit more like somewhere between, like, Marilyn Manson and some other goth, right? And he comes out. He's looking a little bit like that. And he comes out and he's, like, trying, he's trying to compose himself, right? Now, any of you ever have those moments and you've had, like, a really rough moment, but you know you have to put on the face because you're going to be in front of other people and you don't want them to know you just had sort of this emotional tempest. So you kind of, kind of compose yourself a little bit. And everybody knows it because you're still kind of, it's still seeping out of you, right? It's like the gale force. Your hair is still blowing from the gale force that's inside you. But you're trying to kind of keep it all... And you kind of sit down and you're like... "Uh, uh, uh, Now, you just ran off bawling just a second ago, right? And then you kind of come back. Now, which one of you is ready for that moment, right? This is the weirdest day ever. And he's like... "Uh, um, What about... Serve the bread. And And at this point, I think... He just ran to the toilet really quick. Should we be eating this food? So, anyways... And it says, and notice it says, And they sat, and they set him in a place by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who, were, who ate with him by themselves. Now, traditionally, Joseph would eat with the Egyptians. I mean, because as the leader, they would sit at his table. Which is really kind of funny. Because at this point, he's not. He's going to sit in his own place. They're going to sit in their own place. And the Hebrews are going to sit in their own place. And I'll tell you why. This is the funny part, because it says... Because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews. That's an abomination to the Egyptians. And that's funny to me because that would lead me to believe that these people must not at this point know that he's, an, that he's a Hebrew because they would never have eaten with him in the first place. It would have been an abomination. Now, here's another point in that, by the way. This word for what it's worth. Tuba, for what it's worth. Now, can you say for what it's worth? Treba. Treba. Now go like this. Come on, you got more on you than that. The word for abomination. Do you realize it's the first time it's been mentioned in Scripture? Here's where it's introduced. And what the word means is, for what it's, it's it, it, every Hebrew word comes from a verb, and the idea is simple: that there is that which can anger you? That which can trouble you, that which can agitate you, and that which is so bad it makes you nauseous. Do you know the difference? There are certain things that take place in this world that it makes me more than angry. There's some stuff that just makes me angry. There's some stuff that it irritates me. I'm human. I know you expected more from me. I'm sorry. Um, you know, whatever. But then there's that stuff that's so heinous, so wicked, so horrible that it makes me want to throw up. Now, please understand, when God says something is an abomination, that's his response. That there's stuff so wicked, so horrible, so filthy, so rotten, that it literally makes him nauseous. And here's the weird part, that to the Egyptian, eating with a Hebrew would make them want to throw up the food they just ate. Which, by the way, would be a weird thing. The only two things, by the way, that they seem to have a problem with are, again, we see here, Hebrews, and then later we'll see shepherds. And these guys are both, thank you very much. So, in this, now we've got the tables, we've got Joseph sitting in his place by himself, which is good, so he can get up and cry whenever he wants to. Probably near his toilet. And then you have the boys that are going to be seated, and then you have the other guys seated in a room. And that's kind of a weird setup. And it says, And they set before him the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked astonished at one another. So Joseph kind of looks and he goes, Alright, here it is. Ready? You and then 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 you. Now look at that by the way, I mean it's if any guy who hasn't seen but his brothers in 20 years, could you even remember the order of them? I mean, you know, but, but to, to think a total stranger has just done this, and they've talked about the odds of this being one in a, several hundred million. But, the, I mean, he looks at you, I mean, some of them you go, okay, that guy's probably the youngest, that guy's the oldest. But somewhere in the middle it gets a little blurry. Oh, no, he's like you, and then you, and then you, and then you. Joseph clearly knows who these boys are, each one of them. He knows them all. And they all kind of sit down. And again, we're, and I would be like, I don't know if this could get any weirder. I thought I was going to die. Now I'm going to eat with the guy. And he got up and cried, called the youngest Benny. And now he's going to get up, says, serve the bread. And we're all sitting in our order. Can this get any weirder? And we and the readers say, oh, yes, it's going to. And we rub our hands. So it says, then he took the servings to him. From before him but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as theirs, so they drank and were merry with him. Now, two different ways to take this. One one thing for sure is I'm just sure that he really loves his brother, his whole brother. And in that, he's blessing them. But you, the person in authority, the person that gets the greatest honor, usually receives somewhere between two to five times the amount that everyone else does. That, by the way, is still common in a lot of the Middle East. And, and in all that, some would say, well, this is Joseph testing his brothers to see whether they're getting jealous or not by doing that. And that could very well be. Or it could just be that Joseph just really loves his younger brother Benjamin because that's the one he thought he'd never see again more than any of the others. This is the one that's his full brother, and he just blesses him. Either way, one thing's for sure: these guys are getting pickled, and nobody seems to care that that little Benny's getting more food than anyone else. So, and then so for whatever it's worth, it does seem like they're passing the test. Chapter forty-four. You thought I was going to stop. Oh no. And so he commanded the steward of the house, saying, This is way too good to, to wait. So he filled he told the command so he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as you can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. But put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. So Alright, we've all we've all sat around we drank an awful lot we ate an awful lot and now we've all passed out and we spent the night at Joe's house Okay, now that's weirder already to me because we thought we were going to get slaughtered and now it's a sleepover. It's a slumber party. How did that happen? And then it says, and while we're sleeping, now while, we're, while they're sleeping, because I don't want to be part of the pickled crew, while they're sleeping, Joseph turns to his steward and says, okay, hey, now, which means they're staying up late. It doesn't appear that Joseph is going to sleep this night. But in all of that, he says, all right, now here's the deal. Put their money back and my cup. Take my cup and put it in the youngest. And I would think as a steward, what are you thinking? What in the world is going on? All right, boss. All right, I trust you. You've always been wise. You've always been kind. This is a little erratic behavior, but it's strange for me. But somehow I know this is going to be all right. And so he does that. And then it says, verse 3, as soon as as morning dawned, the men were sent away. I mean, somebody said, all right, sunrise, get up, get out of here. And so they left with their donkeys, the ones they were afraid that they were going to take. Do you notice how God made careful mention of their donkeys through this whole thing? Sometimes maybe you feel like, oh, I feel like I'm just a donkey in it. Well, good news is he knows about you too. When, he had, when when they had gone out of the city and weren't afar off, Joseph said to his steward, get up. Did you see that? So it doesn't seem like Joseph slept at all. This poor guy had to stay up late like Christmas Eve when you had to wait for your kids to sleep. To Oh, do I... It's the Santa thing. And, you know, and, you know, and then, you know, it's like, okay, you're not allowed to wake me up when the sun comes up. And now it's like he's waking up the poor steward. He's like, get up and tell him, tell him that they stole my stuff. And you think, man, this is just, I got to find another job. So, so, and it says, look at, when they they gone out, he says, get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say, why have you repaid evil for good? Is this not the one from which my Lord drinks? And with which he indeed practices divination, you have done evil in so doing. And there's a part of me that thinks, what? what's with this whole like divination thing? That's a strange thing to toss into this. And, and, and with that, understand that Joseph's going to fish out of them their trust in the living God. Because if they really trusted in the living God, who would care about this divination? But clearly that's not the case. So it says that in verse 6, when he overtook them, he spoke to them saying these words, the same words. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that our servants should do such a thing. And let's be honest, they, they know that. They, they don't think they've taken anything. Here they are, they're just getting up and going, I mean, think about it. You're leaving and you're going, okay, that was the strangest day ever. I mean, we got there. We just came for food. We heard the word slaughter. They took us and we had lunch. I remind you, it was lunch. It was noon when we started the feast and we slept over. That was a long night. We got up in the morning and someone said time to go and we got up and we started going and we thought now that was the strangest day ever oh no that was just the last strange day and now here you are it's morning you're leaving your sacks are as full as they can be and the servant comes up and goes what are you doing stealing from my boss and they look and say what what are you talking about we came and we brought the money From the last time it was returned, we brought extra money to buy this. Which one of you, why would you think we would steal? He's like, I let you into my boss's house and you'll steal from my boss? What are you doing? Come on. And so it says, he overtook them. He said as it was said. Why does my Lord say these words? They say, verse 7, Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. Well, how then could we steal silver or gold from the Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also shall be my Lord's slaves. Now, that's pretty confident, don't you think? The moment it's like, look, it, I am so confident none of us have done this. I mean, we were all drunk and passed out. How could we possibly have stolen anything? I'll tell you what, you find it, kill him. And while you're at it, the rest of us will be slaves. That's how confident we are. And, and again, if what Joseph really wanted was a bunch of slaves, he would have taken the deal. But his servant doesn't do that. He says, and his servant said, well, then we'll not let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave. And the rest of you will be blameless. And again, this is one of the reasons why I just genuinely believe what Joseph really wanted was just his brother. That if he wanted the rest of him, if he really wanted to prove a point he'd have made him all slaves. It's like, look at all I really wants, Benny. That's why he had him put it in the mouth of his sack anyways. So, <clears throat> that each man speedily laid down his sack to the ground, and he opened his sack. The steward, he searched, and he began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. Now, I want to remind you, who is the one person there who knows where the cup is? It's the steward. And he's the one who's going to start with the oldest and work his way down. And I think there's a bit of fun in that. Because the steward knows. He could have gone straight to that but he's playing this thing out a little bit. Remember, it's mid morning, the sun has just risen. You know, you're still trying to figure out where the nearest Starbucks is, and you get overtaken, and the guy's like, just let down your stacks. And all of a sudden, he looks at this one and goes, Nope, it's not there. Your money's there, but it's not there. Let's go to the next one. Ha ha ha, I told you. And you can see with each one, we get a little bit more confident. Well, clearly, he's, he's not going to find it. And we'll be able to say, Did I not tell you? And then he opens, and then he takes a look in, jo- in Benjamin's, and he's like, Bada boom bada bing <laughs> It's right here! It. Here it is! And at that point, what do you do? I remind you, Judah has told Dad he would be surety. Now, that was different than Reuben, the oldest, because what Reuben said is, hey, if, if you, if Joseph, if, if Benjamin doesn't come back, kill my kids. And I'd think, if I were one of his kids, I'd think, I'm calling CPS, man. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> But Judah says, look it, if he doesn't come back, kill me. Let me bear the guilt forever. And Judah is going to be such, a, I mean, he's the one from whom our Messiah comes. And the idea is simple. It's been within the line to say this, look it, I would, my job will be to take your guilt. I'll take your guilt and bear it. And with that now, it, it says, and if he began with the oldest, he left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. They tore their clothes, which, by the way, is a sign of mourning. And each man loaded that donkey they thought that he wanted to take, and they returned to the city. Judah and his brothers. Did you notice that in verse 14? Judah and his brothers. But Reuben's the oldest. Why isn't it Reuben and his brothers? Because Judah now has stepped up as surety, and God recognizes he's leading the group. The older three boys, remember he's number four, the older three boys have already been disqualified in this sense. Well, the oldest actually took one of dad's wives and acted like it was his. She was his. The next two boys, which is Simeon and Levi, slaughtered the entire city of Shechem in a vengeance killing. So dad looks and he says, well, to be honest, the next one in line is Judah." And Judah now is taking that responsibility. Now at this point, it's interesting. Mr. Surety, the one who said, "If there's any problems, I will bear that guilt," is now leading the crew back into Egypt. This says, "Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and as he was still there. They fell down before him on the ground, as if they hadn't bowed enough already." <laughs> Joseph said to them. <laughs> What deal is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? And again, there's a part of me that goes, oh, uh, that Joseph, come on, you've been such a perfect Jesus type. and. It's this divination thing. And and all I can tell you is, again, this is just my opinion, is that Joseph is looking at them, seeing where they're going to stand in regards to the real God. The one, by the way, that the steward said, that God of yours gave you your money back. So clearly he's been in the factor as far as Joseph's concerned. That God of his, by the way, that Joseph claims, is the one that says God can give you that interpretation, Pharaoh, nine years ago. I know who Joseph is making claim to. So in regards to this divination thing, they think he's Egyptian. He's like, hey, you're trying to mess with the power and the spooky stuff of Egypt. Do you really want to do that? And at that point, any one of those boys could have said, hey, you know, with all due respect, sir, <coughs> I agree, there's some pretty weird things going on here, but but our God still God of gods, and King of kings, and Lord of lords, and, and your divination is nothing in comparison to that. They don't know that Joseph's giving the real living God that claim. Even if the fact is that, if you remember though, Joseph did say to Benjamin, Elohim bless you. So clearly, there's somewhere in the occasion. And by the way, that doesn't make a difference, though. You know this. You're sitting and you're talking to a person, and they're a Buddhist. And all of a sudden, they'll go, OMG. And you're like, well, which one is that? Or you're talking to somebody who's Hindu, and they'll go, OMG. Or you know, they'll mention, oh, Jesus. And you're like, what? You'll talk to an atheist, and they'll use the Lord's name in vain. It's like, why don't you pick someone else? You don't believe in him. Why don't you yell out, oh, Santa, for goodness sakes? And just the reason I say that is, is that they're still trying to figure this whole thing out. And Joseph plays for the moment the voodoo card on these guys. And, they, and look at what they're going to do. They're going to respond in a like manner to some degree. And Judah says, notice Judah the spokesperson now in verse 16. And he says, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out our iniquity of your servants. And by the way, this becomes the problem. And this is one of the reasons why the enemy would love for you to live in condemnation. And I don't like to give him much press. This isn't his house. But I'm going to tell you this. Is that if you live in condemnation, you'll never assume the Lord's going to do anything kind or bless you or love you. Because the bottom line is you're guilty, rotten, filthy, nasty thing. And why would God ever extend and turn any affection upon such an individual? These individuals are looking at this situation and they're going, oh, you know, for the last 20 years, we've lived with the fact we sold off our brother. By the way, I remind you, Judah is our spokesperson now and he's the one who did the deal. He's the one who suggested it in the first place. And Judah's like, you know what, man, I've been carrying this around for 20 years. And he's found our iniquity. There's just no way we can hide this. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And what we're going to find, by the way, is a massive difference between remorse, reproach, and repentance. Hey, let's face it. You do something wrong, you may not feel bad for it all. Prayerfully, you should. But you get caught, you will feel bad for it. Because at that point, your life's going to be less pleasant because of the price you're paying for it. A child's caught right-handed and doing something. They're like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, yeah, you're sorry. And the, Lord's, the Lord says, look it, you're in a situation and you're like, God, I'm so sorry. God goes, I know you're sorry. The issue is, are you willing to repent? Because in the end of it all, if you really, there's a difference between hitting the consequence of getting caught and hating the sin. And God wants you to hate the sin. If you just hate the consequence, then the police will be your problem. It'll be the one who catches you. That will be your problem. If you actually really want to be right with the Lord, we'd say, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. God, search through and if you find anything, get it out before I have to get caught to change it. Wouldn't it be awesome if we repented before we had to do whatever time we'd have to do for it? And Judah's now looking and he's like, you know what? Judas done his own prison. And that's interesting because it seemed like they were heartless 20 years ago or so when they actually turned a blind eye to Joseph when he begged them not to take him away. Do you remember the story of David? Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you may not be. Second king in essence of of Israel as a whole. There was a time when David did something really stupid. Though God called him a man after his own heart, he was still very much a man. He was still a man with great passion. And when that passion was untempered and undirected, it became into his own demise. And, and with that, David is supposed to be out in battle. And by the way, that's David is. there's so many things about David I cling to. And that's my, my own personal life with the Lord. It's one of the things that got us over here to, to London. And... But David is supposed to be out fighting the battle. and Instead, David sent the other boys to do it. And David now is starting to lax off. And he was always, please hear me, he was always safer in the battlefield with the Lord than he ever was on the couch by himself. And then it's like, oh, I don't know if I can take another day of battle. If that's where the Lord is in your life, you need to be there because you'll never be safer than where he's calling you. And, and, and with that, David now is in the and Remember, he looks and, and all of a sudden there's this girl bathing on the roof and there's all kinds of things people want to say about the bottom line is I could just see her thinking, why in the world would I ever assume that the king is going to be home? Because the king is always the guy to lead him in the battle. Her husband is one of David's chief bodyguards. Her grandfather is David's chief counselor. And her name, Batsheva, means daughter of a covenant. That's three strikes. I mean, of all the the girls that you kind of want to look and go, maybe that one, you're already married, but she's the wife of your bodyguard. That's just dumb. And the granddaughter of your chief counselor, that's dumber. And her name means daughter of a covenant. That's dumbest. He impregnates her, takes her, impregnates her and that has to kill her husband in his own mind, so that because he tried to bring the husband back, as if he could make it think it was his. And ah, that's not working. He's too noble. He's like, how could I be enjoying my wife when my men are out there fighting? And I could think David would think I am. And and in that, it's like you know, it's like okay, well, we need to kill him. So he has him murdered. And as he has him murdered, David thinks he gets away with it. But what David says in the Psalms, and I love this because the Samuel letters tell us the what, but it's it, it's the Psalms that tell us the why. And, how, and in it, David says, when I remained silent, my bones were like dust, like the drought of summer. Oh, David might have thought consequentially he got away with it, but inside he was eroding to nothing. So when God finally nails him on it, it was out of love that God did that for David, for David's sake. You know, there are times where God actually catches you because he just loves you. Now, he knows it the whole time, but he busts you because he knows if you want to carry this another day, it's just going to take you down. Judah's in that place here. He says, what do we say? How can I speak to clear ourselves? We're clearly guilty. So I'll tell you what, we'll all be our Lord's slaves, both we and also the one to whom the cup is found. Joseph in verse 17 says, Oh, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whom hand, in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave." Best for you guys. Go go home to your dad. Go up in your, into the place of your father. Judah now came near to him, and that's an interesting thing because I imagine the last time that Judah has been close to him was when he was selling him off. And Judah is now close to him, and he says, "No, oh my lord, please." Let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. Don't let your anger be angry at, me for, at your servant. Because you're like Pharaoh and he's like, please don't be angry for me coming forward. Please. Now stop here. Before we even take this into our, the rest of the text. Anytime someone approaches a king, the king is assumedly in mortal danger. That's assumedly the case. In a kingdom, by the way, where a person in authority, in such great authority, You don't let anyone within a 10-foot radius. You just don't. Unless you grant that option. When a person approaches a king, he has a scepter. And that scepter, by the way, he has two options. And he does it in such a way that it's simple. It's a hand motion, if you will. All he has to do is pull that scepter back, and that person is killed in front of him instantly. Because that's what happens when you mess with a king. If he extends his scepter, what he's saying is, I'm offering this to you. They call that, by the way, the scepter of righteousness. Now, does anyone know a story in scripture where that plays out really big? Esther. She's like, I can't approach the king. If I approach the king, all I have to do is pull back that scepter and I'm done. But he doesn't. He offers it. Interesting. In the book of Psalms, it says, your scepter, O king, is a scepter of righteousness. Continually. Do you know what that means? That means my king on the throne says anytime you want to come, it's good with me. Anytime. I love that. Now in our text here, this guy's approaching him and he knows that himself. That's putting his own life on the line he says, look, you're like Pharaoh. You have the power to just bring all of the might of Egypt down on me. I recognize that. My Lord asked, and he goes to tell the story. My Lord asked his servants, saying, have you a father or a brother? And we told you honestly. We said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, which by the way is interesting because that's who he's talking to. And he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. And you said to your servants, Bring him down to me that I might set my eyes on him. And and we said to my Lord, "The, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, Unless the youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face. You shall see my face no more. So it was, when he went to your servant, my father was when we went to your servant, my father, that we told these words to, to my, uh, of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. And we said, we can't go down if our youngest brother is, is not with us. For If your youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see this man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And I wonder what it would be like to Joseph, who knew that he was his dad's favorite to hear these boys quoting his dad's words. I wonder if he hears his dad's voices as as Judah is speaking. And he says, You know my wife bore me two sons. By the way, notice he doesn't say one of my wives, or even my favorite, just my wife. How weird would that be for the other ten, by the way, who weren't product of that wife? You know my wife bore me two sons. One of them went out from me and I said, surely he's torn to pieces. And at that moment, if I were Joseph, I would think, wow, that was what my dad said when he heard I wasn't there. And I've not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. That dad, by the way, at this moment is 130 years old. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father and the lad is not with us since his life is bounding with the lad. It will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he'll die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. So please, therefore, now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? In other words, I don't want to watch my dad die. Now, put yourself now a moment in Joseph's shoes if what Joseph really wants here is just to get Benjamin, if that's what he really wants. He is now confronted with the thought that if I get Benjamin, I'm going to kill my dad to do it. Can I do that? Can I put my dad through that twice? What Joseph learned is what his dad went through at the loss of Joseph. And he's like, I'm going to have to put my dad through this twice. I can't do that. And here is Joseph the second most influential and powerful man on the planet as much as we're aware of at this point, being begged by the surety of Judah, his brother, unaware of the fact that that's his brother. And we turn to this and he says, please, please, could you just please look at, if what you're looking for is a servant, I'll be your servant. If what you're looking for is a slave, I'll be that slave. You know why? Because if, and and it's interesting because what, what Judah's saying is saying is, is, you know what, if, if I'm gone, it won't kill my dad. But if Benny's gone, it will. And I love my dad so much that, that I, I don't mind being a slave if that's what it takes. Because, and how weird is that if you were Judah? To think, you know what, it won't kill dad to lose me. But it really would kill him to lose Benjamin. And I can tell, I mean, you'd look at that and I'd think, wow, Judah is a very different guy than he was 20 years ago when he just said, sell that punk. I'm so sick of hearing his dreams and his delusions of grandeur, how we're all going to bow to him. At this point, is not thinking about Judah. Judah's thinking about his father. And I find this really interesting that, listen, listen, out of love of the father, he would gladly take the brunt. Because he loved the Father, he would gladly take the punishment, take the guilt. So how hard is it to realize that out of love of the Father, Jesus, our own Messiah and Savior, took our guilt and nailed it to a cross because we deserved it. And he gladly paid the price. It tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Do you know what that means? That means Jesus had joy on the cross. Is that weird to you? It's weird to me. I can't think, oh, this is so wonderful. It'll be over soon. I'm nailed to a cross. I'm bleeding. I can't breathe. I can't stand up. My body's being dislocated. This is really awesome. I mean, that's just bizarre. But understand scripturally when it says, for the joy set before Him, what joy could He possibly have on the cross? What could He possibly see while hanging on the cross that would give Him joy? You, that's what. Because it was the cross that says you'll be mine now. They paid for all your guilt and shame and mine too. All your filth and mine too. All of your regret and grievous and nastiness and mine too. And he says, look at if this is what it takes to get Micah, to get Lauren, to get Nathaniel, if this is what it takes to be Natalie, Fabian, I'll do it. Because I know at the end of it all, if this is what it takes. What's the joy of a woman giving birth? It's certainly not the pain. It's, <laughs> some of you are amen and that's strong. It's not the epidural. Because if in the end of it all, what you got was an epidural and you stopped feeling, but you had no baby, you'd think, why did I do this? That's why kidney stones are such a nasty thing. (laughs) Look it, here you go. Oh, great, thanks. I'll make a necklace. (laughs) But the baby is what makes it worthwhile. Now follow me as we bring this around. Judas says, please, don't kill my dad. He has no idea. Judah has no idea. That what he's saying without knowing it is, please don't kill your dad to the man he's speaking to. What he's asking for is mercy. Chapter 45, the last couple of verses. Joseph could not restrain himself before all these men anymore. The word for restrain is the word afek or "afak." Careful how you say that. You want to try that? Better not. All right. The word means to contain. In other words, what just happened with Joseph is he exploded in front of them. Mount Vesuvius has erupted. And it says he couldn't restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, And every one of the men who spoke Egyptian ran out of the room. Now how do you feel? Let's put these events together. Yesterday you came looking for food. and he turns and he goes, I, 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 I slaughter. I, I, I. And you're like, ah. and the servant says, Come with me. And you went with him. And they're like, he's gonna come. No, man, please, 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 please. We really didn't steal anything. Really didn't steal anything. And the guy's like, chill out, man. I put your money back in there. Your God's taking care of you. You're gonna have lunch with them." Whoa, okay. So he sits and he sits and Whoa, oh, we're all sitting in the order. That's really strange. And he's like, you know, wait a minute, he wants to know, is that your younger brother? Yeah, that is your younger brother. Ah! He off crying. And then he comes back in and you're like, okay, everyone sit in your order. Now, let's eat bread. Sure, okay. We all sit. We eat and drink from noon. Then we have a slumber party. And we get up in the morning and they're like, time to go. We start to leave and as the sun's rising and we're looking for a Starbucks, the servant catches up and says, what are you doing still My my is cup? And you're thinking, this couldn't get any stranger. Come back. All right, we're all going to come back. We all come back. And we get, him, we get in the woman. and he's looking, and he's like, why did you do this to me? Don't you know I can practice divination? And you're like, you know what? No, 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 man. Um, God just discovered our guilt. That's all. He's just, he's just laying on our guilt for us. He goes, don't worry. I'll just take the youngest. The rest of you could go home. And he goes, please, please don't do that. Please, it'll kill my dad. And he goes, oh, blah, 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 blah. and then everyone flees but them. And he's, they're all standing there. Oh. What would you do at that moment? It tells us, by the way, they are literally shaking. Have you ever been in that place where you're like, uh, 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 and you probably aren't going to think he's going to go, bros. <laughs> Any of you think that's what's going to happen? Who writes a script like this? And as they all ran out of the room, it says in verse 2 that he wept aloud. Literally, he threw out screams of cry. And The Egyptians of the house of Pharaoh heard it. We all ran out of the room, and then we hear Joseph crying, and I think this is really, this can't get any stranger. Oh, yes, it does. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. My dad's still alive. But his brothers couldn't answer him because they were, and the word there is bahal. Could you say bahal? can you go <laughs> nice very nice and that's what it was they were so freaked out they could not speak and if you ever had that point where you're so freaked out nothing can come out of your mouth except <laughs> the cowardly lion looks like a good man next to you at this moment now can you imagine 20 years you assume that guy's just done and over with And now he looks at you, he's the second in command, the guy that has the opportunity to sneeze and have you all killed, and he's cried already, run out of the room, he's come back looking like a goth, he's freaked out everyone, he's sent out everyone, you're there alone with him, so it's only you and them. And he goes, hey guys, I'm your brother. (laughs) And you think, what just happened? Listen, God could have done this a million other ways, he could have killed them all for their guilt, but he didn't. God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. He tells us that twice in Ezekiel. He takes no delight in it. He would rather they repent. That's what scripture says. Do you remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? 850 of them all standing around, dancing around. And if, look at, and like in the end of it all, he wants to call down fire to see whose sacrifice was acceptable for who is the real God. Think about it. If if God was the way we think God should be, he wouldn't have sent fire down on the sacrifice. He would have sent fire down on the 850 prophets of Baal. That would have proved it to everyone. But why didn't he? Because he wanted them too. And in the end of it all, God is head over heels, undeniably, and emphatically, obsessively in love with you. He wouldn't take no, he'd take no delight in slaughtering you. What he would rather do is reconcile you. Joseph's done nothing to those brothers to earn the evil they've given him. And Joseph in turn extended grace and forgiveness. Jesus has done nothing to earn your disrespect. To earn your sin. But out of his love for you, he offers you grace and forgiveness. Have you accepted that gift? Could you imagine how stupid it would be at this moment for these guys to go, forget it, I don't need your forgiveness. I want another way. Let me see the Pharaoh. Could you see how dumb that would be at this moment? They know they're busted before him. And that is the problem for some of us, is we don't recognize how guilty we are before the Lord. But for every selfish and self-reliant thing we've ever done, Jesus wants to let you know, I'm always the one who's provided for you. Every time you find the money in your sacks, that's been my kindness. Every grain you've ever had that you've ever eaten has been my kindness. And I offer you forgiveness to set you free from the bondage you've been carrying with you of your guilt. Have you said yes? Because now you'll have the opportunity to. And today, if you are living in the bondage of unforgiveness with someone else, you like and you can say i don't have the strength to forgive someone the one who lives inside of you could forgive you ask him to forgive that person through you will you pray with me lord i want to thank you so much for this wonderful fellowship Lord, I want to thank you for the way that you have selected people from all over this city to come and pop into this, this church and to study your word and to sing your praises and to, to seek your face and to seek to be changed and transformed. And Lord, here we are looking at something that, that it's still, I, I, I rub my eyes in, in, in amazement as I see what you've done in this situation. And it's yet to be, it's yet To be concluded, we still have other chapters to see how beautiful it's going to be. But the greatest need that these 10 boys have been walking with for 20 years has been forgiveness. And, And of all the things to think that it would take such a famine to drive them to it. Just like David and the dryness of his bones. And Lord, how he would cry out to you. But it would take for him to get nailed. And Lord, I just want to pray first for every believer in this room, myself included, Lord, that there would be such a natural repentance, a supernatural repentance upon our heart, that we wouldn't need to get nailed for something to change. But God, instead, that we would be people, Lord, who love you so much that we don't want anything to interfere with the intimacy you offer us, but rather that we would cry out to you, Lord, and ask you to do things through us that we can't humanly do, which includes forgive others. Jesus, you've told us to the manner in which we forgive is the manner we should even expect to be forgiven. And so I pray right now, Lord, for every believer in this room, myself included, that forgiveness would be something we would be quick to issue. And in those areas where we feel like we're so natural to keep score and hold anger and to keep details that are so... First of all, remind us that defining forgiveness is to cast away and leave forever. Lord, so please make us people who are quick to cast away the hurt, the injury not people who are quick to sue and to take up arms. And I thank you, Lord, for those people that you demonstrate that too, And I want to be one of them. And Lord, I know that for some of us, it's a lot easier for us to identify in our hearts where we've been injured than where we've been blessed. That we could even relive those painful memories in our in our hearts and our minds, but not but be be in great want to find a single one where we've seen acts of kindness and benevolence and love upon us. Forgive us, Lord, but we have a tendency to cling to the things that are more evil than the blessings that you challenge us to entertain our minds with in Philippians 4.8. And I pray right now, Lord, for every believer that you be cleansing us, Lord, from bitterness and, and from anger and, and all those things, God, that we have no right to take up as a torch. We lay them at the cross where they belong and want to walk in freedom, unshackled by that. But at the sound of this voice, if you have not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, and you may not have to understand anything else, but if you know this, that you, you have guilt because you've done wrong, and God would like to do more than just sort of relocate it, but he'd like to ultimately resolve it at the cross that He so loved you that He sent His only begotten Son, perfect in every way, tempted in every way, yet without sin. And in all points needed, the perfect sacrifice. sacrifice. And in that, choosing to die on the cross for all of your sins right now. Offering you now the freedom from the penalty and its guilt. At your surrender and repentance of surrendering your life. Repentance from your self-reliance to Laying your life before Him. If you want to accept the gift of Jesus Christ right now, I'm going to pray a simple prayer and I ask you to listen. And if you agree with this prayer, if it resonates with your heart, if the Holy Spirit says, yes, that's true, then right at the end of it all, I invite you simply to say, amen. And what you are saying is, I agree, let that prayer be my prayer. And here it is. God in heaven, I, I confess to you, I'm not perfect, I've done wrong. But in doing wrong, I know that you as a righteous judge punish all wrongdoing. You punish all wrong. But I believe you so loved me that not because I've earned it or I deserve it, but because you are love, that you sent your only begotten son, Jesus the Christ, into this world to pay the price, the penalty for my sin. And that he died on a cross so that all of the crimes of humanity could be laid upon him and paid in full. And as he died there, all of that penalty died as well. And then he rose again, just like you promised in your scripture. And as he rose again, you invite me to a brand new life. The old life of misery and shame and regret laid at the cross and buried there. And the life of freedom and forgiveness and fellowship with you, you offer me now as I surrender my life to you as my Lord and Savior. And as the payment for my sins. So have me. I may not fully understand where you'll take me or what you'll do, but I do know this, it's certainly the best. And so I say, have me. I am yours. Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to you in your name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to go through the Word with you, the honor of studying it, and the privilege of being your pastor. Take a moment, if you would, on your way out, if you would, just grab a person, meet someone you don't know, ask how you could pray for them. Let's be a fellowship that prays for each other. God bless you all.